Slip your headphones on. I'll be your radio. And if you turn me on, how would you ever know? Hailing from Balticon 2010, this is my conversation with Thomas Commandline Gideon and Rick Stringer. Rick had to bail after a little while, but that's okay because while he was there, he was able to give us some great content and whatnot on what makes him laugh. Thomas Commandline Gideon, son of a bitch, and Rick Stringer. All right, hey guys, I'm uh, still Balticon 2010, and I'm with Command Line and Rick Stringer. And what makes you guys laugh? What do you find funny? That's a big question. Uh, there are the classics I can go to, of course. I think it's good, good ground to, to sell and then go from there, but... Uh, Mel Brooks, big time, big fan of, of Mel Brooks in particular. Uh, that particular style of humor, so much of it that uh, can't have anymore. You know, blazing, that's a, a common conversation my wife and I have in going over the Mel Brooks canon. Some of our favorites, like Blazing Saddles, could not make that film today. So you like racist films? Yes. No, you're going to edit that, right? <laughs> no, I, I, I guess I like the, I like the, I like the comedy that that's. Um, Sure. Some of the the Mel Brooks comedy is it's it's crass, but it's nuanced. There's there's some complexity to that. Speaking of, of crass humor, I'm I'm a big Robin Williams fan. Yes, I always have been. But he's him. he's layered too. You know, yes, there's there's a, a sharp mind behind that. So yeah. it's the yeah. the joke you get the joke you get right away. Yeah. And then there's the gag that kind of sinks in, and you get a few seconds later. Oh yeah. I found that Emo Phillips is very much like. Oh yeah. yeah. Where he'll tell a joke, and what most people do is you know the. the They'll, they'll have the setup and they'll have a joke. He'll have a couple jokes in in the setup. Then he'll have the punchline. And then he'll have another joke. And another joke. And another joke. To where in a two-minute period, he has just nailed you with about 17 jokes that you never saw coming. But with, with the mention of Emo Phillips, what about stand-up? Who do you guys... Stand-up George Carlin, to me, was the king. Oh, absolutely. I, I, just, you know, I have been a George Carlin fan since... Since his Ed Sullivan days, you know, and I grew up watching George. In fact, I was very fortunate to actually have met George once. I was in his house. Oh, really? Yeah. Did it, he know? And shortly before yes, the police did. arrived. Yes, <laughs> yeah. He even gave me one of his tapes. Wow. But, wow. Um, That's awesome. He, he actually... Yeah, can I, can I, can I touch you? I touched yeah. a man once who yeah. was yeah. in George Carlin's That's house. right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, George <laughs> is awesome. Way, I, I'm a huge wow. fan of George. Yeah. I, That's an, another smart one, too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. He really worked uh, a lot of meaning, double entendre. Not like the yuck-yuck. I mean, certainly that, too. But a lot of real brainy stuff that, yeah, like well, the stuff that's sticky comedy that really sticks with you, kind of worms well, its way into your brain. Well, it's the stuff that makes you think. Exactly. You know, it's like, you know, 
he's kind of right there. You know, the, the world is fucked up that way. You know, or I don't know if I can say that in your podcast, but I just did. So anyhow, deal with it. <laughs> there it is. We're talking George Carlin here. Yeah, George Carlin, you got it. Yeah. 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 It's necessary then. Oh uh, well, what about uh, what about sketch comedy? He's obviously working the outcast features mm-hmm. sketch comedy, mm-hmm. but with some. Oh, it's all execrable. Two hundred one, no. But with so many of the other groups that are out there that are, that have really impacted a lot of people, mm-hmm. like your Python, your oh yeah, kids in the hall. Absolutely. Talk a little yeah. bit about those guys. Yeah. Or any other groups. That you yeah. Want to yeah. 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 Python definitely. The state. Although, although it's interesting oh, is Python when when it was actually. Live back when at the time they were actually doing it, I wasn't into it all that much. Mm-hmm. And I was, I don't know, I was just into other stuff at the time. But then later years was when I started really getting in it. Now we have the whole, you know, whole DVD set, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, what I found is that uh, with, for a lot of people with Python, is that it's it's something when they first come across it, they may not be in the place in their life where they're ready for. Right, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good or anything. It's just that they don't know how to quite connect. Because yeah. I've noticed that generationally, a lot of people when they're young, they it, they just don't get it. Yeah. I was fortunate in that regard. So my mom definitely was the one who introduced. She introduced me to a lot of the fiction that I read, a lot of the culture that uh, I hold dear, and and so she introduced me to Python when I was maybe eleven or twelve. Yeah. And the particular sketch was the, uh, they were doing that series of Olympic events, you know, like the, the, the uh, 100-yard twit dash when they had to jump the matchbox. And the very first sketch I remember was the, the marathon for incontinence. <laughs> so to a 12-year-old boy, that was like pitch perfect, and I was hooked, and it was a really good kind of bridge for me. So for me, it was like a fixture from uh, that the start, you know, so it was developing a sense of humor and kind of appreciation. So I get what you're saying, and I could totally get it. If you came in on something completely different, yeah. something a little more conceptual, a little more experimental, it would be, be take more time to get into it. Uh, but the, I think there are, you know, if you're, uh, you know, Rick's a dad, I'm a dad, you know, if you think about that, you might be able to introduce some select material in a way to, yeah. to kind of get over that for... I introduced my kids to Monty Python with... Uh, the life of Brian. Really? Yeah. And, and, and the meaning of life. The, those, those are two. Yeah. And they absolutely. But, but see, my kid, this is their the teen. two least kid friendly Python movies. Well, yeah, but my kids are teenagers. Oh, I, no, you know, right, I mean, you know. It's my, about time for them to learn about this sex. So. Yes, yes. It's about and, time we have that and, talk here. Let me put this Life of Brian CD in. That, that's right. I'll cue it up to the scene. Yeah. And my daughter hauls her friends in and says, Oh, you guys got to watch this movie. And so I was like, Here are all these kids. You know, they're, you know, but they're all 16, 17. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. Have you introduced your kids, Thomas, to, to Python or, or um, any other sketch comedy? No, but I'm finding that that the Python influence bleeds through. So they're they're still very much at kind of more the the cartoon uh, age, and and I find actually for for kind of bridging the generations, one of the things that we enjoy is like what Dave Lasseter and the crew at Pixar are able to work in with their humor. That it's not it's it's well targeted to the younger audience, but it it also has uh, layers that work for the. I have to watch a lot. My wife's not really a cartoon person, so. Yeah, I happen like that's such a chore. I grew up on cartoons. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if they were yeah. still playing Looney Tunes in the theater, I'd be there every yeah. Saturday. But um, them to Phineas and Ferb yet? They found it on their own. They love Phineas and Ferb. Um, they, I, I, I do love the fact that that they get that, and because Phineas and Ferb has that kind of offbeat character, the odd, the little bit brainy, little. 
odd non sequiturs there, kind of odd judgment. The sister trying to catch out the, the guys at it, never can. It's like Animaniacs on Ridley. Yeah. Or the, the super secret the show, that's got a very uh, sort of Python-esque character to it. You know, you have the, the it's a, a couple of spies, and they have to stop the, you know, the arch-villain of, of the week, and it's a half-hour. And the uh, there's a running gag that I, I always get a chuckle when I'm watching it with them. The chief, for reasons of security, he has to have a, a different code name, and they're always ridiculous, like Fluffy Muffin Pants Bottle, or something like that. And all the other characters, they break the fourth wall a little bit, and they just they crack up. You know, so they're kind of letting you in on the gag. And then as, as that show has progressed, you know, the, the animators, the writers, you know, the exasperation they managed to work into the characters. Like, oh, you know, like they come in like, really? That's my code name. So, so that's why I say I think it's it's kind of glimmering in a little bit. You have a lot of the Pythonites, as they've, as they've gotten older and diversified, they crop off in odd little places doing bit parts and other stuff. So it's seeping in because it's so much of, of uh, our culture and our generation. And so it's our generation now turning around and making various films, family and otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that may actually make it even easier than we had. Is that Eric Idle's out there doing stuff that, that kids can get into, John Cleese, and so it goes. They're getting some sense of that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I'm delighted that they're finding a lot of this real offbeat Phineas and Ferb stuff, stuff of that character on their own. I don't have to like, here, watch this. Like my, my grandfather, not for comedy, but for, for reading. Uh, to, to trick my mom into reading stuff and say, oh no, you wouldn't like that, don't, you shouldn't read that book. Uh, per absolutely perfect, of course, what did she do? You know, so I, she told me that, you know, when I had kids, I'm fearing like, I'm not going to do that, you know, I mean, granddad could really sell that. I'm not, I don't know whether I could sell, do that with a straight face. So I'm kind of glad that I don't have to, that there's a, a lot of yeah. accessible material that's already out there. I'm, I gotta go, guys. All right, Rick, well, thank you very much. And hopefully we can pick uh, pick up with you later on. Okay. Uh, if not, then uh, I hope you enjoy the rest of the thanks for Thanks for having me. This was fun. No problem. All right. All right. Now, one of the things that uh, that we brought up, and, and Rick, before he left, he definitely popped when we brought up Animaniacs. How do you, what do you think it is about Animaniacs and the ridiculous, silly humor involved in that that seems to just attach itself to in, intelligent adults? Yeah, because I mean, you're you're smarter than I am. I mean, you, you know how to actually use grammar properly. You, you, you may think good. that, but I am talking pretty now. <laughs> but I mean, with the computers and stuff like that, you're you're an extremely intelligent person. What do you think it is about that absurdist humor? Because we were just talking about Python, animaniacs. Yeah. You know, maybe like a freakazoid. You know, oh, love different freakazoid. Different to turn them on. That one I did get the pleasure of introducing the freakazoid, and yeah, they absolutely gobbled that up. I actually watched my very first episodes last night. And I didn't. It was just one of those ones where oh, I had man. just graduated, that they got, and I that didn't they got um, uh, Ricardo Montalban to come in. And uh, yeah. it, it, oh, have you watched that far yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, uh, I, I've seen. Oh, Ed Asner, and I just <laughs> popped in a couple episodes. I will say no more. I will say no more. But, but I mean, but that speaks to. There's. I think there's a couple of things. There's the fact that uh, you know you recognize. I, I, I think that that somebody who is is more exposed. Uh, that he's used to, to deconstructing and thinking about the various things that they appreciate, whether we're talking about comedy or, or other kinds of entertainment, other, other genres of entertainment. Um, they're, they're, there's the... You have to have what I was talking about earlier, I think some of the, the layers, some of the stuff that you can kind of take away. You're walking, you know, you're shuffling out from the Emo Phillips uh, show and you're still chuckling to yourself mm -hmm. because those jokes have just kind of saturated in through the neocortex into the lizard brain. Um, <laughs> 
So yes, I am spent. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm spent. That's it. Now it's, now it's all going to be and now, primate noises. And, and now I poop. drool. And yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's that appreciation of craft, too. So you, you understand uh, that somebody, they make it... When they when it seems so easy like that 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 Phillips can sustain a joke across two minutes and few few comics really can it's hard to do that to just keep punching like that and and it's painful to watch people try and fail. Animaniacs and Freakazoid it's the same way that they are able to put the ludicrous in and pull it off that they you know they have such a great sense of timing all the things that they really need to know to where that line is to push it so the joke's going to push just far enough and not completely collapse so it's not so much that uh, absurdist humor when done right is escapist that was the other but point I was going to get to so intelligent that's, that's the other point I was going to get to I mean because I think then then you go to the absurdist humor like Freakazoid and and it has to be well crafted to work otherwise it's nonsense so even even though it's kind of it's you know very fast turn by turn non sequitur it's there still has to be some intent they're still leading you through certain responses and they when they uh, like like Philip says like other comics do like like Python I said you know they'll recurse back in on things that they've done before you know to really sustain the joke it's like you forgot about that and it's like then they punch it again it's that same crap but you're absolutely it's right at the end of that it's it's the deep belly laugh, the release. You know, it's like oh great, it's you know it's whatever mediocre comedy. It's not. It does, you don't get that same almost cathartic experience of just being laugh your ass off from this wickedly silly stuff. Well, Hal Hepburn and Del Close, the two improv gods that created the Herald, which is one of the uh, very popular improvisational games. That most improv that you see now on stage mm-hmm. is how it's done, mm-hmm. and th- they talk about setting up patterns mm-hmm. that you know things are mentioned like. And, you know, the Herald is usually a group of uh, improv sketches. Not sketches, because those are pre-prepared, but uh, improv segments mm-hmm. that are done. Uh, and they'll have, you know, one theme and another theme and another theme and another theme. And then by the end of the evening, they tie in all of the themes together in a way. And we're starting to see that a lot with pop culture references. Pat Oswald does that a lot. Love Pat That, Oswald. you know, something will be mentioned and it may Sky be cake. the topic. Mustard cake, not pie, sky cake. <laughs> <laughs> that they're not, uh, and and they just kind of loop back on it. You know, callbacks have always been uh, traditional for, for getting huge laughs. But when you set up uh, like a pattern, and then the audience gets the pattern, it's it's so much more of a uh, satisfying laugh. Well, and when the callbacks are are so they're able to to do those fast shifts, and the callback. If it's telegraphed, it's like, eh, yeah. but like when Oswald does it, you don't see it coming. No, you know it's it, and and Oswald's a great one for us. You know, at Balticon, he's clearly outed himself as a geek. Oh yeah, I mean he's like self-proclaimed king of the geeks. So that brings a whole other level to it that he can throw in, you know, a D and D joke. He could throw in, you know, a, mm-hmm. a, a Firefly joke or something like that. And he's just got the balls to just do it. You know, some of the audience isn't going to get it, but he doesn't care. He's throwing the joke in there for the ones that get it. But his delivery is so convincing that everybody's laughing along with it. Well, and that, that's part of it is that, you know, you sell it. Yeah. And, and he sells Absolutely. it. And the thing is, he's so confident about it. He's like, he knows his stuff is funny. 
And the way he structures most of his jokes is that you may not get the the joke, but you'll understand the context. Exactly. And which is something that we're seeing in sitcoms nowadays with like Big Bang Theory. Oh yeah. We saw it a lot with Frasier, but especially with Big Bang Theory, yeah. where half the jokes that they make—well, I wouldn't say half, but you know, about Good a, portion. A, a, a quarter of the jokes that they make are incredibly intelligent. You need to be a fucking physicist to get them. Mm-hmm. But you get understand the context, so you know why it's funny. Not necessarily the pattern of a yeah. joke of like blah 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 toast, and everybody laughs, laughs. You know, yeah. but but you you can get what they're in, uh, implying. They they set it. it up without ever explaining it, so yeah. they give you enough context. And they, in that case, I think like like Chuck Lorne and Bill Brady have cast. A, such a great set of actors, and and they've grown too. I mean, Penny's character at the start was very different character, and and in many ways, I, I think she's kind of the uh, the accessible, the bridge character to help you in, and and it was. You know, to talking about that that craft and appreciation of craft, that's a cool one to see that arc where it was clear that that was the intent, but they weren't quite sure how to handle her. And then as the season progressed, the character evolved to the point where she's a much better fleshed out character. Yeah. She still serves that role, but like the the recent uh, uh, the recent episode where there's a, a callback to almost like the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert for anybody who still has DVR the, the season <laughs> finale. But when she's like, "Oh my God, you've ruined me! Mm-hmm. You know, you've ruined me for dumb." guys, dumb, yeah. pretty guys. She's like, now I get all these jokes. You know, I've gone through this whole journey that hopefully, to your point, the whole the audience has come along for that, so they get more of the jokes. She's correcting the minutia of the Star Trek <laughs> reference, and she's like, yep. oh my god. And then that, that self-awareness, that self-reference, oh my god, what have you done to me? Absolutely perfect. And, and the, the beauty of that is, is that they... They have, instead of trying to change the main characters and make the geeks cool, (laughs) they brought in the traditional cool pretty people and made them geekier. (laughs) And it's it's God, if anything, they have stepped on the geek pedal even harder as they've gone. And it's really pushed it. And it's so rare to find it because when you have kind of the hacky premise of of Two and a Half Men, (laughs) which is done by the exact same (laughs) uh, creators. And then you see Big Bang Theory, and it's almost like they're like, okay, what can we do to absolutely uh, paint-by-number sitcom? And then how can we take those same tropes and, and flip them a little bit? Mm-hmm. And and it's just made for some tremendous television. We're starting to see a definite transition in sitcoms with writing, where they'll take a hack premise. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very disappointed that Accidentally on Purpose was canceled. Mm-hmm. The biggest hack premise, a woman who's uh, kind of middle-aged, yeah, uh, change your life, on, baby. Yeah, yeah gets a, has a baby with a guy half her age, practically, and uh, you know what happens from that. But that was one of the most genius shows that was out there. Or uh, rules of engagement. Yeah, so well, you're, I you're have very, not actually seen that, and I want to because it's you're very cast. typical. Yeah, exactly, and I think that makes it. But I think it does all the same stuff. So it's it is. You're right. It's that hack need. You know, the upstairs couple, the downstairs couple. It's you. You could almost see it one as married, like one a re- single one recast. Yeah, one one married, uh, one engaged, and then you've got the single friend, and now they've pulled in the single friend's personal assistant, who has been this breakout character, Timmy. This uh, uh, um, very cultured to uh, foil Dave Spade, who's the real crass, the womanizing, right. and you've got his personal assistant Timmy, who through the whole first season he's just kind of rolling his eyes, but he's really kind of evolved into a character. But it's it's that hackneyed. It's almost. Uh, uh, Des and Lucy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's the Mertzes and it's and yeah. it's the you know, but they they turn that on its side too, you know, and they and they they take that someplace a little bit different, and and the fact that they they really uh, use like Patrick Warburton to great effect, mm-hmm. um, he's just he's brilliant, and and they just 
the writing for him is pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. You know, so him as the uh, henpecked husband, but he just he's not like cowed, but like whatever. He's like, I need a beer, and he's just yeah. you know path, his path his a uh, very very recognizable um, uh, deadpan delivery on some right. of those, those gag lines and the uh, the engaged couple, the the constant uh, ribbing of the metrosexual husband. I mean, and they've and they've stomped on that really hard. So mm-hmm. it's bled over into the jokes about him being gay. Even though he's engaged to this really, you know. So it, yeah, it's just, it's exactly the same thing. It's exactly the same thing we're talking about. That they're taking that same formula and going someplace that's uh, it's fun to go with them. And it seems like Modern Family is also doing that. Almost the exact same thing that Rules of Engagement is doing. But with uh, with Modern Family, it has such heart to it mm. that yes, they have the the characters that do bad things or aren't very smart or very you know uh, full of bravado. But it has just this this core heart to it that the jokes are funny, and then you want to see these people um, you know overcome. You want by the end of the episode for everything to get fixed to a grand degree. But you you don't want them to like oh haha how are they going to get into this one but it's you, you're kind of cheering what is for them. Like, Jink? <laughs> exactly. But you're just like oh come on get through this. You guys know you can and and that's actually a show that that features um, a, a new take on a lot of it seems to be combining a lot of tropes that have never really been together. Mm. Where you have the the traditional family you know they're they're in their thirties now you know they've got three kids. Then you've got his uh, or her dad, who is married, uh, who's played by Ed O'Neill, who is married to um, uh, Sophie Vergara, which, oh my God, <laughs> ridiculously hot, mm-hmm. and Cuban, and it's mm-hmm. Ed O'Neill, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, Mr. Al Bundy, and then uh, on the other side is uh, the the daughter's uh, the Ed O'Neill's daughter's brother, which would be you know, Ed O'Neill's son, who's gay, and has um, you know has his husband. Uh, and they have adopted a child. Mm-hmm. And Ed O'Neill is also having to deal with, you know, being a father again because yeah. his wife has a, has a young son who's about the same age as the other kids. So it's, mm-hmm. And it's fascinating to watch because they blend in without... They don't highlight situations, mm-hmm. but they allude to them. It is a factor, but they treat everything as normal. It's mm-hmm. not like, look, these guys are gay. <laughs> mm-hmm. But they're just like, yeah, yeah, you know, they, they are in a relationship. Well, and it's, I, that's one I haven't watched, but you're one of many people who's recommended it very highly. And I, it is fantastic. Of course, love that, O'Neill. But the, uh, I think the, what you were talking to, that kind of having heart, we're so cynical these days it's so easy to cross the line into the maudlin and the corny mm-hmm. and it sounds like that they've struck upon a way of, of getting that heart in there with some of the kind of ludicrous and some of the, the real um, bleeding edge kind of comedy that they're doing blending those tropes in a way that they can get away with that that it's not just the oh look at the puppy Billy got a puppy isn't yeah. that great oh it's so sweet and Michelle Tanner says something cute yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. exactly exactly so I'm just, I'm just kind of exhausted, <laughs> and we're spent. I know exactly. I just feel so satisfied. With <sighs> Excellent. So I'd, I'd I'd like to thank Thomas for for being on the show. Um, the, this was cool. It was my <laughs> pleasure talking about it. It was my stuff. pleasure. Thanks for having me on. So thank you very much. Sure. Of course, this entire series has been from Balticon 2010, and again, I'm pretty sure I mentioned it in just about every introduction. But here's my conversation with Patrick McLean. Uh, thing about Patrick McLean, I think he's one of the funniest human beings I've ever met. 
um, one of the most talented writers. And as talented and intelligent as he is, he thought it would be a good idea to take a walk while we spoke. It wouldn't have been a problem, except that I was using a handheld recorder, basically passing it between us. And it was like 80 degrees with 75% humidity. But at least it was entertaining. Patrick Tuaka, the Italian taint juice of the Roman legions, McLean. We're here at Balticon 2010, taking a little stroll. 2010, it sounds like we're in the future. It does. You know, there's all the hack jokes about flying cars and BS, but if this was the future, what would you want? I don't think I'd want a flying car. Really? Why not? No, I don't think I'd want a flying car. Well, I mean, consider the problem with a flying car. Um, you got... We have this lovely road over here that's filled with idiots anyway. Flying idiots. Mm. Three-dimensional idiots is not something that sounds like fun. Three-dimensional flying idiots. Like, so instead of having the random crash at the intersection near your house, the bastard would fly into your house. Mm. Good point. But the the best thing about that is is that lanes would be cleared. So you crash in three-dimensional space, you go down. If this was the future, what I would really want, uh, it would be the car spatula. Ooh. So it's a giant metal thing that slips out of the bottom of your car and just takes the person in front of you and flips them off to the side of the road. Because, <laughs> you know, that's, that's, I need to get this person out of my way. <laughs> the real shame is that uh, Billy Mays passed away. <laughs> Wouldn't be able to sell it. <laughs> the car spatula. <laughs> so if, it, if, if this is the future, what, uh, what do you want? Peace. A piece of what? Big piece of pumpkin pie. I think that's what it would be. That, to me, is the future. I mean, a pumpkin pie is perfect because you've got a little bit of a vegetable kind of a feel to it. So you've got the healthy factor. You put a bunch of whipped cream on there. So you got the sweet factor. You've got the crust. So a little bit of kind of a breading thing. has almost all of the food groups in it. But I think that if we could have just larger pies, somehow make them healthier. So that could be the only thing that I eat. Be very happy. So I, I think you're talking about the pie-o-matic. You just ah, press pie-o-matic. a button and out pops a pie. <laughs> the, the, you know, you just, and, and you could have presets. You know, you'd have cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the boysenberry button would not get used very much. Probably not. But, mince uh, meat. Mi- mince meat, really? yeah. Nah, I don't know about the that. Loading cans of Spam. R- rhubarb. Rhubarb. <laughs> 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 no. Aren't those essentially Pop-Tarts? Rhubarb pies. Rhubarb <laughs> no, no, the pieomatic. That would be essentially a pop tart. No, you no. Push no. a button. And... I, I'm envi- if it's the future and we get anything we want, I'm envisioning a fully fledged, you know, woven crust top pie, steaming, you know, cherries, pot cherries boiling out the side. But I got to tell you, uh, pumpkin pie. I got to tell you about my voice. It's falling apart here. That's why I figure you should hold the mic. <laughs> uh, so I have pumpkin pie. Uh, you know, it's. What else do you make with pumpkins? I mean, it, it's like recycling something that, you, you know. You don't really use anyway. Like, is there anything else that people make with pumpkins other than jack-o'-lanterns? Over to you, Rich. Well, there's pumpkin bread, pumpkin spice coffee. Now, you've got the pumpkin seeds, but, of course, that would be required from the... Toast, toasted pumpkins. Exactly, that, from the original pumpkin. So that's just more using of the hide and the bones of the animal after you kill it than <laughs> anything else. Oh, gosh, well, there, there are a lot of pumpkin-flavored things, but you're still not using that much of the pumpkin. You're kind of extracting some of the, the flavors of the pumpkin, pumpkin and infusing steaks, it. Pumpkin steaks, pumpkin fries. Pumpkin steaks. Hmm. 
go for a good pumpkin ribeye sometimes. I'm just picturing the poor, the, the, the great pumpkin oh. somehow trapped, and then they decide to make steaks out of the poor guy. The great pumpkin ribeye. Oh, my. That's, uh, you know, and when you get right down to it, it's also a very fun word to say. It is. Pumpkin. Pumpkin. And you can enunciate and get the pump. So you're automatically thinking of a very sexual thing. And then kin, also another word for children. It sounds like it should be the state uh, vegetable of West Virginia, perhaps. Pumpkin. <laughs> Boy, it's, it's not, not really scenic here in the back parking lot of the... No, it's not. We can pretend we're on a shitty golf course if we go that way. <laughs> <laughs> we, we can do that. I think it went over this hill. Um, I, this, is, this is the... Uh, I think the first time I've been to a convention, I've made a point of getting outside to go for a walk while it's daylight. Get a little, you know, fresh air. Blow the, uh, blow the geek off, so to speak. <laughs> oh, yeah. You picked a good walking partner for that. Uh, what I'm more worried about is the day ball. It's burning my skin right now. <laughs> the day bulb. What is this cruel orb in the sky? <laughs> Whoa, we need to find Emma. Oh. We've got a Corvette here with a license plate that says Mrs. Peel. Uh, or it's Mr. Spiel. I'm not quite sure which one it's supposed to be. I, I, I'm going with the Avengers reference. I got to go with the Avengers reference. In my heart of hearts, I, I know it's probably not true. Probably a 83-year-old woman with gout drives that thing. But um, if she comes from Pasadena, or, or it's Mr. Spiel and he's got a bad, uh, bad hairpiece. But we can hope. Mr. Spiel sounds like the uh, the next uh, in line for the Billy Mays legacy. Mr. Spiel sounds like this. So. I've got this idea for you. Haymail. Did you say he-mail? So you've heard of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's the wave of the future. Really? Will it be able to make automatic pies? 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 You ask me of pies? I am giving you the business opportunity of a lifetime. (laughs) And it comes with a free pair of shoes. Well, I like a free pair of shoes. Now the question is, how much will I have to invest in this? All of it. All of it? All of it. I have a pet goldfish. Do I have to invest that? If you don't, you know, I'm, you, you, you got to uh, listen. Scared money don't make money. <laughs> I'm not saying anything's gonna, bad's going to happen to your goldfish, but you really should invest in this. Listen, Maury can't break a goldfish's legs is what I'm saying. <laughs> um, <laughs> poor goldfish with casts on its fins swimming in circles. <laughs> you know what? I, think that, I think that voice works better for me than my actual voice right now. Excuse me. In the first episode of Star Trek, <laughs> if you recall, where does that voice come from? What is that voice? I don't know. It, it sounds like a crazy uncle. It really does. Great crazy uncle from New Jersey, perhaps. <laughs> so, Patrick, what do you find funny? What makes you laugh? Uh, the truth. <laughs> the truth. Well, it's funny because some people say that it hurts. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, laughter is a laughter is a response to a sudden, you know, a sudden shock. <laughs> Fucking voice. Um, hey, if you need to, if you need to do it in the Mister Spiel voice, go for it. So, if um, I don't, know, it's 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 tough to analyze humor, but it's that um, it's that thing that takes in another direction. I think um, I, I have a problem, um, <laughs> and I would like to tell you about my problem. Mm-hmm. Lean in close. Um, no, you're amongst uh, friends. Uh, my, my, my brain is always going. I have too many ideas. And I think, because, I think if I had gone to perhaps a different school, if I had applied myself more, I would have used that 
uh, to gain knowledge in other fields or skills or disciplines. But as it was, I was terribly bored. So what I started doing is I started thinking of funny things. Mm-hmm. I started, you know, thinking of funny ways to put words together, really, um, because it's just better than than just sitting around being bored all the time. And that's sort of where it came from, rather than playing anything, you know, straight down the line. Um, uh, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think's funny? Well, there's all kinds of things. To me, comedy is about uh, an element of surprise. You don't expect uh, something to happen. Sometimes it's uh, you're thinking something's going to go in one direction, whether it's dramatic, scary, touching, whatever, and then there's a quick 180, and all of a sudden it's going the other way. Yeah, it's got to be that quick switch. Timing is so much of it. Uh, there's a there's a fearlessness when you're really rolling. Um, you know, when you, when you, when you get on something, you just can't do any wrong. Mm-hmm. It makes me, you know, if there was. Uh, if there were more comedy clubs around, I had thought earlier this year about trying to put some material together and just trying that. I did that once a long time ago. But, you know, there's no real comedy clubs to speak of, and I, I don't really want to spend my life on the road, you know, being a comedian. I, I don't know if that's, mm-hmm. that's really, you know, what I would want to do, even trying to do that. But, uh, but it, it's, it's, um, it's such a pleasure of mine to have a, 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 a you know, sense of humor and, and friends with a really well-developed sense of humor. I just find it's a, it's a social grace that... Like, like checking into the hotel, if you can throw a little smile or a little joke onto somebody, you know, who's working behind the counter. They've been dealing with people all day long. You make, you know, it, it's, just a, it's just a nice way to go through life. It makes everything easier. That's, I think it's a really practical thing in many ways, humor. Do you think that humor kind of developed as a way for people to get what they want? Because oftentimes if you're encountering somebody who you need something from, you can, you know, crack a joke or even so much as smile at somebody, and they'll smile back, or they'll laugh. Hopefully not when you smile, but they'll at least laugh if you tell a, a decent joke or something. And they'll be more apt to help you. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, there are some people who are just uh, just humorless. I mean, we all know those people that you're just like, wow, you're just. That must be must be terrible. I, I have. I know people like that, and it, it it's just it's tough to go along and get along with them because they're just so stiff. Um, I think that uh, you know, if you really want to get down to it, I think that people—if you really want to get down to it, <laughs> voice—tell us, Mister Spiel. Like teenage boys, actually, men of all stripes, just do stupid things from time to time. I mean, really stupid things, like put a pail on your head and slam into the—you know—slam your head into the wall. Try things like uh, the first skiing attempt. You know, it's like this is a bad idea. How do you know this is going to work out? First guy to eat an oyster, um, but. Other things that have inherent risk besides comedy. Yeah, but, I mean, you just... We just do stupid things. Um, and I think that comedy is kind of like that. It, it's part of that continual, okay, you're just going to... We're just going to try something different here and see what happens. Um, I think a great deal of the progress of the human race is due to people trying shit and the, the survivors uh, kept doing it or the people it worked out for kept doing it and other people mimicked that. It's like... You know, why, why, is, uh, why does anyone ever say anything other than, how you doing? Fine. You know, when, when they meet. Mm-hmm. But every once in a while, somebody says, I'm happy as a dead pig in the sun. <laughs> or if I was any happier, I'd be twins. Yeah. Or if I stopped to tell you how happy I was, you would be depressed. But I'm doing okay. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. If I could <laughs> adequately explain how good I'm doing. Yeah, you know. Um, <laughs> it was like, uh, it was on my honeymoon. And we're sitting there, 
at this little resort in the Caribbean, and we're talking to some people, and they're like, well, what brought you down here? And I said, well, I'm on my honeymoon. I, you know, came down here for a little bit of a... This isn't my wife. Uh, she, she's off somewhere else, but she's much cuter, so I'm talking to her <laughs> as my wife is sitting there. And it was very funny. I mean, I don't know. But you're one of the funnier people I know, so I'm, I'm interested in what you think. Well, I appreciate that. Well, especially when it comes to the... Um, uh, when it comes to surprising people, when you have that constant, hi, how you doing? Right after I had kids, I would tell people... When they say, oh, hey, boy, I bet you're not getting any sleep. How the kids doing? I always say, like, well, we realized it was a horrible mistake, so we gave them away. Just little things like that because people aren't expecting it. They're expecting the stock answer of, oh, well, things are pretty good, you know, or turns out one of them grew wings, flew away. Been trying to get it down out of a tree for the past week. And it catches people off guard. To me, that's funny. Yeah. When it's something that, that you just don't expect, that it's something slightly surreal about it lately lately when people go how you doing i say married <laughs> say married well i mean that i mean that's like the big thing going on in my life well, sure, like, sure. so the quickest way into it is what do you got going on i got married mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, you know this this ring like i thought this ring would give me control so it turns out it it, it, it binds you it's not the, you know it's, it's oh it's not the one ring to con- no, to it, rule it's the one ring to be yeah, controlled yeah, yeah. It, 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 in the darkness uh <laughs> it's the wrong end of the leash. No, I'm really just teasing. I was actually at a, at a wedding where they did the speech of one ring to rule them all, one ring to Jesus rule the world. Jesus Christ. <laughs> exactly. Know, that, that's one of those things that when, I, when the, you know, the movies came out, they actually were selling. And I saw in like a U.S. Airways, like one of those crappy Sky Mall magazines. Mm-hmm. They, they were selling a replica of the ring. I'm like, this is a thing that is a symbol of pure evil, greed, and man's lust for power, and you're going to buy it? Collect the whole set. <laughs> what kind of sick bastard? I mean, like, you touch it, you turn into this awful creature and ride around on a lizard. This is, this is not cool, man. This Actually, is- the lizard thing sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it's, when you call it a Nazgul, maybe it doesn't uh, have the same ring. I have for you prime Nazgul leather shoes. <laughs> I think they're an ancient ancestor of the Naga, right? <laughs> Ah, the Naga. It's the blue Naga. So, so in movies, what do you what do you find funny? Like, what if you could pick the the perfect comedy out of all the movies you've seen? What do you think it would be? Well, I got to tell you, recently I thought The Hangover was pretty damn brilliant. Um, of the funniest movies I've ever seen, especially for its time, uh, I think Blazing Saddles is it's one of those things that tells the truth in a very funny way. Um, I mean, it's just amazingly funny. Uh, and we, because of political correctness, we can't really make that movie. You know, it, it would be hard to make that movie now, I suppose. But uh, it's really funny. I think it's primarily because uh, the world now doesn't understand irony. Because every character in there that was racist was an idiot. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and, and the racism itself was making fun. I mean, racism is inherently a stupid thing. Um, but my favorite line in there is, uh, and I'm going to say the word that can't be said because it's a verbatim quote. Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take the niggers and the chinks, but no Irish. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, everybody overlooks the fact that like the Irish are the only group that you can make fun of now. Yeah. Um, really. And, and because anybody of Irish descent is pretty, pretty well humored about it, but you know, and oh, prairie shit, the Irish can come too. <laughs> 
it, there was such a prejudice against the Irish mm-hmm. when they came to the United States, and everybody, you know, has kind of kind of forgotten that. The, the weirdest thing, also, if you look at that, is um, at the turn of the century, the best basketball players uh, were Jewish kids in the inner city, and it was thought that basketball would always be a Jewish sport because they were the only people who played basketball. <laughs> they were the poor kids. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's very funny. It's also very funny how the I, I don't know. I thought that movie was so brilliant because it just kept poking fun at all the all the irrationality of it. And I think, and I think that's what good comedy does. It. Oh, there we go. There's Mrs. Oh, no, it's oh. not not who we were thinking. Oh, Mrs. P. <laughs> Doesn't look like Uma Thurman or a. Uh, oh, I'm blanking on the gal's name. Uh, Veronica Rigg. Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Oh, actually, I think there were two of them. Was it? Diana Rigg was one of them, I think. Yeah. But, oh, Mrs. Peel. <laughs> I feel like Bill Murray and Caddyshack, which is also an incredibly funny movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but with the uh, blazing quotes line that you used there, the line itself isn't very funny. It's actually very politically uh, motivated and culturally motivated. It's a very charged line, yes. Mm-hmm. But the fact that it's delivered by somebody with an Irish accent, that's what makes it funny. Uh, I don't think it was with an Irish accent. Mm-hmm. Was it really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but... Uh, and, and it's, just, it's just the way it's delivered. And it's the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, or here's another great example of, of, of that unexpected thing. You know, to be able to say things, I, I don't know, I use, I use comedy to deal with adversity and difficult subjects that I don't like to deal with. In fact, um, as, I, as I said in the story, and it's just really true, um, I, when I told the story about getting shot, my one real regret about that when I checked into the hospital was when they asked me if I was allergic to anything, I did not have the presence of mind to say, yes, bullets. <laughs> I mean, are you allergic to anything? There's a there's a hole in me. <laughs> oh, but people are people are inherently funny, and I think some, most like Groucho Marx. Mm. I mean, they, the, the Marx Brothers they just poked fun at pretension, and there's plenty of stuff for that. Hell, one of the guys even conveyed everything via a horn, and was still hilarious. Yeah, they were, they were they were talented guys. In fairness, I think Dane Cook is about six months away from that. A horn? Oh yeah. I I don't really. Watch, <laughs> I don't really watch. Uh, I I haven't really heard great things about him. I haven't. No no Dane Cook really. But uh, yeah, I don't know what 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 favorite favorite movies are yours. Well, to me, the two of the perfect comedies, and they kind of are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. You have The Hangover, which is a very Absurdist, but intellectual. When that guy jumps out of the trunk. Oh my God! With the crowbar. Doctor Ken. Yeah, and that's just it. It's just funny because here's a small Asian man jumping out with a crowbar, and he's naked. Sounds like a start to a bad joke, but uh, but it works. But for me, uh, on the other end of the spectrum is Anchorman. Uh, I don't. I don't have that same affinity for Anchorman, uh, and a lot of people don't. It's. Uh, I mean, there's some really funny stuff when, when uh, what's his face, Steve Carell shows mm-hmm. up with a hand grenade. <laughs> Where'd you get the hand grenade? I don't know. <laughs> that is that is really genius. Um, do you know uh, one of the funniest things I've ever seen? I think the first the first twenty minutes of Idiocracy. Mm. Um, <laughs> the when they just when they pan to the hospital. Um, and it says St. God's Hospital and hospital runs down the side because they ran out of space that's hilarious mm-hmm. um, what else oh the first 15 minutes of Tropic Thunder 
I thought we're mm-hmm. like when the when the director steps on the landmine, that's one of the funniest yeah. things I've ever seen. It movie didn't uh, keep up that frenetic. Oh my no, god, that it, was it fun. didn't. But it was still a really good movie. Have you actually ever seen a full movie? You're talking about the first 15, 20 minutes of movies. Yeah, no, I've seen. I, I, I've suffered through the rest of Tropic Thunder. I thought uh. it was. I thought it was god awful from there. I think that suffered from a terrible, terrible rewrite. I think the original movie must have been much funnier, because mm-hmm. um, that's funny. Um, yeah. Either that, or you have an affinity towards Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan. He was the director. Oh. oh, oh. <laughs> he was in Hamlet Two. <laughs> Hamlet Two. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you know, it was really funny, and they they went and made it into an actual movie. What's that? Um, is that uh, Machete? Oh yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. trailer for that that trailer for um, uh, the movie that was in the, the Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and man, that trailer was so brilliant. And then I went and saw the trailer for the actual movie, and I'm like, because they're they're coming out with it, I'm like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna actually make that. Huh? Mm. That's sad. Well, it's like trying to write a novel based on a one-liner. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it'll sell somewhat but man that trailer was just brilliant as it was hmm. brilliant brilliantly funny i would just go with one last question how do you infuse humor into your into your writing is it something that flows naturally or is it sometimes where you feel like you you maybe need to punch it up a little bit more or do you just write straight and then go back and add humor it flows naturally um i, I have a problem sometimes dealing with serious subjects Mm-hmm. But I am, uh, I, I can be, I don't know, sometimes I think I err on the side of too much humor or with uh, How to Succeed in Evil. I think Topper just busted loose a little bit, <laughs> um, threatened to take control of the entire damn story. Which out of everything that I've listened to, all of the patio books and, and everything, uh, it's my favorite because it's the funniest. Oh, thanks. And, and I mean that sincerely and I've, I've told you that I enjoy it before, but, but to the extent that, that it is one of my favorites. It's one of the few patio books that I'll just go back and re-listen to. What do you mean with this, I enjoy you? I don't want to give the listeners the wrong impression. He said he enjoyed me. He was large and a little sweaty. I moved away. <laughs> well, I enjoy your entire catalog, but that by far is my favorite. I celebrate Michael Bolton's whole catalog. Exactly. Um, you know, actually, you know what I think honestly makes, makes good comedy? What's that? Um, or what makes somebody funny? Is you have to kind of go through, it's a, you have to go through what I call humor kata. Like, you have to memorize, and you have to practice some jokes. Like, mm-hmm. like you memorize the entire Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm-hmm. Or there's some, you know, there's some series of movies that you, you go through jokes and you work through those bits, and then you, you get funny. You know, you have to, like the line I just, you know, the, uh, you know, like referencing lines from movies and using them as jokes. You know, you, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that's how, how you start off being funny. Because in the beginning, nobody's funny. I don't think anybody's funny. It's like anything else. It just takes practice. Well, thank you very much, Patrick. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you. It was an enjoyable walk out here in the fresh air. Outside Marriott's glorious Hunt Valley Inn here in Baltimore.